Hi, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I am so glad you are here today. Today, I am interviewing Bob Glazer. He is awesome. He is the founder and chairman of the board of Acceleration Partners, which is a global partner marketing agency. He's been the recipient of numerous industry and company culture awards, including Glassdoor's Employee Choice Awards two years in a row. He is the author of the inspirational newsletter, Friday Forward, which if you have not subscribed to it, I highly recommend you do so, and is the number one Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and international best-selling author of five books, his latest one, Elevate. Other ones include Friday Forward, How to Thrive in the Virtual Workplace, Moving to Outcomes, and Performance Partnerships. He is a sought-after speaker by companies and organizations around the world and is the host of the Elevate podcast, which I'll be on later this year. He's awesome. I know you're going to have so much fun. My friend Chris Shambra introduced me to him, and I'm so glad he did. Bob and I share so many of the same philosophies. In fact, he's even in my book, The Ownership Mindset, coming out here in October. Before I met him, I read an article that he wrote about mindful transitions, which we talk about in the episode and I talk about in my book. And I was thrilled when I had an opportunity to meet him because I love his thoughts on mindful transitions. So make sure you listen to the whole episode so you can learn what that means, because it's a pretty great tool to have in the workplace. All right. With that, I will be right back with Bob. All right, everyone, I am back with the one and only Bob Glazer. Well, I don't know, maybe you're not a one and only, but you're the one and only I know, and I you're the one and more. only. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on the show. The Rob Glazer, who's, who's, who's got, and Malcolm Glazer, has got a lot of money. But, you know. that, that's not you. You're not Rob, you're Bob. No, no exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. All right. So you are the founder and chairman of your amazing marketing agency. So do you want to talk a little bit about Acceleration Partners and what you do, why you started the yeah. company? I would say, yeah, we're a little bit of a big fish in a small pond. We kind of really specialize in this area called affiliate and partner marketing. And like most people who uh, run an agency, I did not start it intentionally. Someone asked me like, how did you decide to start your agency? And I thought about it and I laughed on the interview. I'm like, what's so funny? And I was like, I had a lot of friends that started agencies, sold agencies and so forth. And uh, none of them did it on purpose. Like they just started doing something and then they got full and then they hired another person and then they woke up and they were starting an agency. I, I've met one person who actually intentionally uh, started an agency. So yeah, we help companies set up partner programs or affiliate programs where they recruit a bunch of people who work on behalf of marketing their brand. They use their Instagram or their blog or their newsletter or whatever thing, and they get paid uh, on a performance basis. So rather than a clicker impression, they get paid when something works. So companies really love these programs and they're kind of enabled by technology because they can pay for their marketing after they get the sale, um, but it's not as easy to, to scale. So we, we help a lot of like Fortune 500 global companies kind of build and and manage these programs and, and a lot of them are global. And is that what you did before, before you started this agency? Like, how did you get into building out affiliated marketing programs? No. So I always liked working with growth oriented companies and a lot of consumer companies. I was actually working at a physical business that built centers for kind of new and expecting parents um, before this. Uh, and, and that's what I sort of learned around life cycle spaces like baby and wedding and consumer and at the end of the day, if you're building a consumer business, you have to have a good product or service, but 
it kind of becomes, can you get customers cost effectively? That is the name of the game. And when I started diving into the different ways to get customers, I, I kind of fell into this affiliate and partner space. And it was being used by a lot of people in a pretty shady kind of underhanded way. But I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Like, how can this be done in more of a blue chip way? And I ended up partnering with a company at the time called Tiny Prince, which did like the first high-end like photo paper birth announcements. And we kind of set up a lot of these partnerships with mom bloggers and otherwise, it was hugely successful. They sold to Shutterfly for, for a ton of money. And a lot of people that we worked with on that program went, as they do in the Valley, they went to other companies and then they called and said, you help us build that program. And I was doing a bunch of different things at the time. Again, I, I did one of them, then I hired someone to help me with the second one, and then there was four of them, and then we need another person, and then you wake up and you're and you're running an agency. So that was the genesis. That's awesome. Well, that's an interesting story. And you're also a culture junkie like me. I don't know if that's a proper way to call it, but it's, you know, you've written six books that, on that, this that, stuff. That. And so where did you know this love for culture and building teams and you know building companies with being mindful of cultures come from? Yeah. I mean, it was really selfishly motivated. I'm, I'm sure you can resonate with this. And then when I say like, I worked in a bunch of these companies, I didn't like them. Yeah. I, I worked around these high growth companies. I really, well, I loved, I thought when I started Acceleration Partners that I would pick one of these five companies that I was building these things for and, and just want to work with them and go down. That's what I had done. But I realized like, as much as I loved being around the work, the cultures of these companies sucked mm -hmm. pretty much and were horrible. And so... As my organization started to grow, I was like, all right, I, I'm someone who's not like the ends justify the means. Like we, we wanted to enjoy the journey. And so I was like, how do we not, how do we be high growth, but not do all of these things that some of our clients at the time did, or they see in these other high growth companies and not sort of be this. And so I started to become very intentional around if I'm going to build this company, what is the company that I want to actually work at? And I got to keep answering that question every time it grows and it doubles. And so. Um, that just became sort of one of our North stars around like, what's a place that we would want to work at? And one of the things in my presentation, I tell people like, hey, you'd be proud for your kids to work at or your grandkids to work. That doesn't mean that every day is fun mm -hmm. or it's not hard or the clients aren't difficult, but do you treat people well? Do you treat them with respect? Is it a place that helps people grow? I mean, we, one of the things I'm most proud of, I, you know, including our new CEO, I think even 90% of our senior leaders have really come from within and grown up. And some of them, we have stories of they responded to a Craigslist ad years ago for a copywriting job. Yeah. And now they manage 100 people on our That's amazing. I agree with you completely. And how would you define your culture, right? People ask me this all the time, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah. And I have it all written down now. But what does a great yeah. culture look like to you? I can answer that in so many ways. Um, so first is yeah. that, I think we tend to think they're ostensibly good and bad cultures. I, I don't believe that that's the case. There are some things that we would agree that make up good and bad cultures, like screaming at people, making them feel horrible versus treating them well, paying them fairly. There, there, there's some quality. But to me, a culture is a little bit, and I see this because I'm in the second phase of a junior in high school looking at university. It's a little bit like a college. Like it has a value proposition. It's very different. Like the big city school can be very different from the liberal arts school and it's trying to offer that value proposition and find someone who wants that value proposition right if you're someone who really wants a liberal arts rural school and ends up going to a huge you know city school down south like you're probably not going to like it the actual reason that just doesn't align to what you want so to me like the essence of a great culture is 
people and what they think, what they say, what they do are in alignment. And I think that can be very different. You can have cultures that record growth and innovation and things like that. And someone would like that. And you can have one that just rewards being around and longevity, consistency, and there's very little innovation or otherwise. So I think great cultures, the framework I've always used is they have three things and two modifiers. So they have a clear vision of where they want to go. They have real values, not kind of the wall art, but real values. And then they have goals and targets. And you think about those from left and right. They have a vision and they're trying to get to goals and targets and they get there by going through their values, not around it. And then the modifiers are clarity and consistency. I think what people want from a company is they want clear values, clear vision, clear goals and targets. And, and they want, you know, consistent vision, consistent value, consistent goals and targets. So I think we're a great company for like 2% of the population or less based on my experience. So our job is to find those people. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. I, uh, yeah, I, I remember early on my career as a, st- uh, as a CEO and I was, you know, like thinking about intentionally building culture. And when someone wasn't a fit or when someone was said, oh, I hate working there. I could take it personally. And I was like, oh, you know, well, we are such a good company. And what I realized as I've matured is that you're spot on, right? It's only going to work for people who are looking for those things. And we're an employee owned yeah. company and our culture is really focused around this whole idea of own it and the ownership mindset and what it means to think and act like an owner. And a lot of people don't right. want and that responsibility. No one, if you're owning a core value and no one has actual ownership. Yeah. So this is why all these companies are struggling with remote work right now. They're not willing to set a policy or put a line in the sand. They're trying to appease everyone. Maybe you can do like, in some ways, I don't agree with the investment banks, but I think that, hey, we're all coming to work or you're fired. At least that's clear. A lot of this hybrid stuff is being a mess because people are just so afraid to have someone be upset and not like it versus say, look, we're coming to the office on Tuesday or Wednesday. If you're someone who wants to work from home, not connect with your employees and never come in. That's not the type of company yep. we want to build. Like you can choose. Yep. Like you have a choice on that. We have a choice. I think you're right. And I do think that so many employers are fearful of losing people because of the tight labor market. And so you're right. They're trying to yeah. like figure so out that everyone. line exactly just to say, okay, but it's a huge problem losing that disconnect. I just had a company meeting this morning and we were talking about one of our values, which is be a great teammate and the whole relationship building aspect of it and how important it is to make intentional effort to build a relationship with your coworker. And that is your responsibility, especially at Stone Age, where you have to think and act like an owner to be successful there. And some people really lean into that but some people are like, oh, well, you know, that's not what's important to me. I just want to get my work done. And it's being okay with saying, like, that's not what makes you successful here. That's not the kind of person we're looking for. We want relationship builders to work for us here. And uh, yeah, and your values uh-huh. would, would resonate. I hear a lot of people say, I just want to work. Yeah. I a leader got a panel. That people just want to work on what they want, when they want, and how they want. I'm like, then they should probably go start their own company yeah. or go be a free agent mm-hmm. because that's not being part of it. Nope. No, I agree. Well, you've done a lot of thinking and writing on this. Like, what other tips do you have for leaders who are struggling with this, who want workers back in the office, but have these hybrid situations that aren't necessarily effective for building relationships and and building culture? You know, figure out what's right for your business and explain the why to people. You know, look, we're seeing mostly, I think, the older 
I'll say males kind of playing the power card of like, you have to be back in the office. To me, there's a hundred ways you could go at that from the business thing. Let's go back to the investment bank. Like, look, we, if we are pitching a $40 million client, that's a big part of our revenue. We are not going to do that on Zoom. That's not who we are, right? To me, that's a business orientation rather than you have to be in the office. Uh, Or so here are the things that be part of the office is part of our culture and part of our business. And there are also things that you can do that you don't need to be in the office. So I, I think more people need to explain yeah. to employees, explain the why. Look, we've had a difficult discussion. One of the difficult discussions I've heard a lot of companies have to say to employees, like, why can't I work every, anywhere? I just want to work anywhere. Because it kind of breaks all kinds of state laws and federal laws, and it costs a ton of money. And our one HR person would be spending all day doing this and couldn't do anything else. So like, we're not looking to tell you what you can't do, but this is sort of a reality and we need to operate inside of it. So again, a lot of times people are giving people the rule, but without the context. Yeah. And I'm always like, look, assume positive intent. Assume this person is just like you and they're a hardworking employee trying to make the best decision for the most people. Um, but I think when we don't explain and we explain the rule without the context or again, when we have to say to people, we never said you could work anywhere we actually always had that you can't move anywhere and you probably can't move to russia like it's illegal can't work from iran you know these things came up but it's not because we want to set arbitrary rules it's because here's the reality and the consequence of what it of, of what it means and what it costs and if you want to cover that great but this is what happens when we don't kind of explain the why and bring people into the discussion yep. I wrote a Friday for this a few weeks ago, but I really don't like when people hide behind they or the company yes. or phrases like this or otherwise. Because again, those are people just like you trying to come up with a policy or do the best they can. Yep, I agree. So how do you, what do you recommend? I didn't read that Friday forward. What do you recommend for people who want to hide behind that policy? Like how should I take that? Uh, that don't that stand, that don't stand? allow it within your company. We had an offsite and this was years ago and someone who was very sort of passive aggressive on our team uh, said, well, a lot of people have been the, the silent the majority. Oh, so yeah, the facilitator eviscerated the person. Yeah. We're not going to, you're on the leadership team. We're not going to do this. Yeah. Either express your opinion or tell us who said it or what it is. And we're going to sort of deal with it. I don't like dealing with unnamed forces. Yeah. So I, I think it's like, but people also do this so that you can't argue with their argument or to sort of bolster their opinion. Well, everyone feels, mm-hmm. I mean, that, how, how do you defend that? Or every people say, I hear that everyone is leaving because of X. So I think you need to sort of address those things head on. I was like, I'm happy to, like, if you're upset about something or whatever, happy to deal with your perspective, but either we're going to sort of name names here or we're not going to do this because it's sort of poor leadership. And I, this goes to, I've seen a lot of leaders of like sales teams, right? They let the sales team blame all sort of external forces for losing a deal. They have never lost a deal that was their fault rather than being like, look, let's talk about what we did wrong. Let's not talk about the competitor underpriced us. We got screwed. The client screwed us. Like, what did we do wrong? Because that's what we can learn. Part of this is having a good and healthy culture is not la la, kumbaya, we all get together. We like, there's some difficult in conversations in terms of maintaining the type of culture that you, we have an own core value too. Like that requires some difficult conversations. Like, well, when someone is not owning it. Totally. You know, we stopped doing anonymous surveys a couple of years ago. Because what it did is it caused more angst. As a leadership team, we want to take every comment seriously. Okay, 
what's that perspective? But it's easy to hide behind this. Well, lots of people feel this way. Or then you're just digging around trying to figure out, okay, who gave this feedback so that we can go in and figure out and go address it. And finally, we're like, that's not part of owning it, right? If you're going to think and act like an owner, you're going to be an owner in this company. You have to have the courage. Right, that's consistent with your, yeah. that's consistent with your values. And so we cut right? it out. And, and if it's not safe, then that's something exactly. you should be able to say exactly. publicly and embarrass everyone. Exactly, right? exactly. And so we said, okay, well, we're going to do this. Every single critical comment that we get or area for improvement, we're going to go talk to that person. We're going to take action so that we can show that courage was rewarded. And so that yeah. it would encourage more people to actually say what they think. And uh, and it changed everything. It's been so much better since we've done that. But that whole hiding behind anonymous names or everybody, it's so destructive. So I, I really appreciate you bringing that up. So, yeah, I have so many thoughts on that because we came to the same conclusion as we grew. Some companies have that and you need that for issues of safety or harassment yes, or things where people feel like they are not being heard. There's a violation of power and there has to be like a, like a, a tip line, you know, almost. But you have to have a good culture to be able to do this. But we have the same thing. We use a tool called Tiny Pulse, which you probably yeah. may have used to. And it was great. We love giving all these things. But be careful of the vocal minority, you know, in the company that is a very loud 1% on something that talks like the issue is, like, you're remote. And they're like, we should have offices. And you're like, 99 out of 100 people don't want an office. So maybe you need to get a job in an office rather than the whole company change. But what we couldn't tell after a while was, do we really have a problem or do we have one really loud person over and over again? And again, if we don't know what's going on, fix it. But you have to be a company that doesn't abuse those things. I posed this question on LinkedIn because it would always frustrate me. I I actually paid people once in our town hall and Starbucks card to ask a really difficult question. And I had to answer live and in person because I'm like, look, if you ask it, I'll answer it. That's part of the owning it. And they said, well, you're going to sell the company and like leave us high and dry. And I was like, awesome. That's great. Because I know everyone else is thinking that. So let's answer that. But when you get behind behind the question, what a lot of people do to our previous conversation is they ask questions with false premise. Like again, why is everyone leaving here because they're being paid 30% more salary? And you're like, well, that is, that is a gross generalization, right? And I, it was hard to not get defensive when I saw questions like that. Remember, managers are employees. They're people to do. Sometimes employees don't see. And if a company is respectful to people, they don't see the really bad things that have happened or poor judgment or things that employees have done where you're just not, you're not trashing them or talking about it. But again, that person disappeared kind of quietly and everyone assumes there's some nefarious scandal going on. And I can't tell you that there was a, sexual harassment claim against it's a very difficult situation it comes from assuming negative intent totally agree we battle with that too because we try to be as transparent as we can when somebody leaves the company um and obviously there's some things that you can't say and and so we try keeping confidential things confidential and respect for the person leaving it's really hard right but being as honest as you can but the thing that we really worked on on the other side of that is that nobody leaves the company with, with it being a surprise. Everybody is given a chance to turn yeah. things around. It doesn't mean that people go on pips. I don't even really like pips. I mean, basically you're going to exit the company. It's, Although it's, not, work, yeah. Yeah, not, I've had like two. Well, I, we talked about this. The irony is they're done yes. in the name of not getting sued. It, but totally. what gets you sued is people feel disrespected. Exactly. Not that exactly. You yeah, totally. Totally. So I think our employees feel confident 
now that we've worked so hard to make sure that everybody knows that we work with everybody. If someone's struggling, unless it's like a, you know, gross negligence issue or something like that, where it's like, okay, you have to go. Everybody's given a chance to turn things around. And so I think that's where we've maybe taken some of that. I mean, it's always scary when someone gets fired, but, you know, that fear of, well, I didn't see that coming. So what if I'm next (laughs) kind of mentality that we go into as human beings and spiral everybody is given an opportunity to turn things around that nobody's ever fired with it being a surprise i mean that's what we aim to create there and so people know well at least he was given a chance or she was given a chance and so that we've noticed that that really does help take some of that fear for you know the the people who are still working within the company right but i do understand that sometimes people do things or they have a illness and they ask not to talk exactly about so you either trust your leaders yep. or you don't exactly. i mean we have had mostly good outcomes like you said i've been a handful of real things that were surprises over 15 years but i can tell you those were really bad fiduciary decisions things that like we couldn't look the other way that had risk and like we had to deal yep. with them like it wasn't there wasn't a choice but again it's just we're not going to trash the person on the way out like so I always say to people, you either trust your leadership from their body of evidence, you don't. But again, there are people just like you with the same information or whatever, trying to make a good decision and do that to the best of their ability. Yep, I love that. Well, there is no, there is no the company. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, how I first was introduced to you is reading an article that you wrote on mindful transitions. And so I think this is a timely place in the interview to talk about this. And I loved it. And I've totally adopted it and made it into um, to Stone Age. So taking this idea of pay to quit and you don't have to give a two week notice or you're not just going to get fired and not have any kind of a safety net behind you, which creates a lot of fear. And a lot of people do things because of fear. They stay stuck. And I really appreciated your thoughts on this. So could you describe the theory behind mindful transitions and how you came up with it and how leaders can put it into practice in their own companies? So it really came with an employee years ago, we kind of called patient zero and patient zero was like the nicest guy. Everyone loved this person. They worked for our company. Um, they weren't doing well and we went the typical route. Like here's a pip and like a lot of pips, it gets better. And then it sort of, you know, starts troughing back down again, because under fear of losing your job, you will generally temporarily improve whatever the behavior is. But then if the fundamental systemic things are not corrected and sometimes they're incorrectable, I think it, it regresses. And so it started to slide right down again. And we were like, well, what do we do? And we we're like, look, we talk about wanting to be a great culture and do things differently. And the thing is a client service organization account turnover is like the worst thing, like kind of surprising account turnover. So we were like, I don't know, why, why don't we have an honest discussion with this person and see what they want to do? It turns out they were just done with client services and wanted to do something different. We said, okay, well, what if we decide that you're going to leave? Like, you're going to go look for a job and we'll be okay with that. Like, you, you can interview and do this stuff and we'll monitor it. And, and look, we made some mistakes and some things we learned on. You should put kind of a definite timeline on this and, and stuff. But, but it absolutely like went really well person got a good job we got to transition the account and we were like god this would be so much better if we weren't surprised by people and and i think these come both ways right they're conversations that the employees unwilling to have about what's not working or the manager or the company is like you know this isn't working and then the employee's going to get blindsided when finally the manager kind of hits their wits end or whatever it is boils over when you don't address it 
then it ends up blowing up. It's like all the things you didn't say to your partner in a fight, and then you bring them up six months later, then it's unrecoverable. So we started trying to kind of make this into a thing. It was kind of a mission. Like, how do we eliminate two weeks notice? And I and look, I heard these things about PIPs and I looked at PIPs. I'm like, I looked at the data and there's a famous study on doctors, which you might've heard where insurance company listened to conversations between doctors and their patients. And it actually wasn't the doctors who made the most mistakes that got sued. It was the people who sort of talked condescendingly okay. to their mm -hmm. patients that had the most lawsuits, not the ones that had the most errors. And so I really felt like if you ask the lawyer, and look, I love lawyers, but sometimes their job is to be lawyers. They're going to say, you got to do a PIP because you're going to get sued. Well, there's no legal actual justification around that. And again, as I said before, people sue because they feel hurt or disrespected or otherwise. Putting them on a PIP that you want them to fail, essentially, is kind of counterproductive. So we started trying to say, look, blue pill, red pill, like we can do the PIP. Our experience is it doesn't work. They don't last. 90% of people are in nine months. Or we can do this other thing. And eventually, like, here's how it works. We can support you. You can look for a job. Here's the timetable. And it gave us the freedom to start those discussions before we were kind of at wit's end. And it gave other people the freedom to come forward and have that discussion and know that we weren't going to walk them to the door. People still don't believe it. Their parents tell them not to believe it. They've been damaged by so many other companies. And I get it. So then we start paying people a bonus for how much notice they gave us. Because to me, instead of sort of aligned behavior, and look, some people still won't get it. And it doesn't work perfectly all the time, but it's better than anything I found. Anyone has copied it and tried it has told me the same thing. They're like, God, that works so much better to have a real conversation. Here's also the irony with a manager. And this is a psychological thing. Like, Carrie, you're on my team. I really like you. You're struggling. I know you're not going to work out. So what do I do? I start emotionally distancing myself from you because I need to make you into a bad person because I'm going to need to do a bad thing to you, which is the opposite that I should do, which is the lean in that the relationship should be like, Carrie, you and I both know you haven't made quota for four quarters in a row. This is, you're struggling. This isn't working. What's going on? Is this what you want to be doing? Inevitably, you're like, oh my God, like, I've been dreading this conversation for nine months. The so always like, thank you. No one wants to suffer. And you say, look, like, how can we help? Can I do a reference? Can I do whatever? Do you want to start looking for a job? And I think the person's like super appreciative that you're, again, you're not excusing the lack of performance, but the lack of performance is usually because someone's not doing the right thing that they're meant to do, but then you're leaning into the relationship. Yep. The same yep. I totally agree with you. I just actually just had a conversation with my VP of HR about this very thing. And we were talking about an employee who is struggling. It's so hard to bring people into this. Who, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, not brought up in it. Yeah, yeah, she's like, because she was just like, I've never, she's new to the company. She's like, I have never been a part of anything like this. And I'm like, well, but if you just treat people like humans and you invest that time instead of trying to distance yourself, you lean into it. And it's like, look, I really care about you and I care about your happiness and I care about your success and this isn't working. <laughs> and so- you know, let's talk about it. And in this particular instance um, that we were talking about yesterday, it's moving a person who's not on the right seat on the bus. I think that the, this person is, you know, we want her on the bus, just not on the right seat. And, but that person has to make the decision, right? Do I want to do this different role, especially if it's, you know, considered a backward step. And my conversation was, I want you to do this. I think you can do this. I think you can be really successful in this role, but if it's not what you want, 
then that's okay. But let's agree that we'll talk through it together so that neither one of us are left in a bad spot with you saying, I'm giving two weeks notice and I quit or me saying, you know, this isn't going to work. And she was like, yes, I really appreciate that. And my new VP of HR is like, I just, I cannot believe <laughs> that yeah. this is people really how you like, do again, this. People are so trained. I know. It's so intuitive. Yeah. Like when you actually are like, what about this seems like yeah. not the right thing yeah. to do, but people are so trained. They're so trained in that, that legal yeah. sort of ease. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. Would you rather pay someone like money to not work or, or get some value of you out of that time? And again, if you're in professional yeah. services, what clients absolutely hate mm -hmm. is fast account turnover. Totally. So what you do is you slot that yeah. new person in on the account. They're, they're there for five, six, seven weeks. They start sending the reports. They start chiming in. And then at week eight, you're like, hey, Carrie's going to move yeah. on. But at that point, it is like much less of yeah. a, a shock to the system. Yeah. And because to lose the employee and then lose the client is particularly. Yeah, good. definitely. Well, my VPH, she's like, I love this. This is so much better, even though it's just so different than any organization. But I agree with you completely. I just think that whole idea of helping people and just having real conversations and not everybody can handle it. And you're right. Not everybody believes it, but I've had so much success in helping people to transition out because I want them to still speak well of the company, even if it didn't work. And you can't guarantee that with this idea of a mindful transition, but you can certainly increase the odds. Yeah, it didn't work out, but they took care of me. They really helped me. They allowed me to look for a job and gave me a reference. Mm -hmm. It's a small world, yeah. you know, and these are your advocates. And by the way, the flip side's true too. Yeah. When you get two days notice or one week notice, people remember endings. Yes. And there are a lot of back channel references in this world. <laughs> the job market's harder than it was. And so you burned your last four jobs. Like people can go on LinkedIn. They can see me at work. I get back channel things all the time. And if what I remember is that person left me high and dry with almost no notice, I don't think the employee realizes in the moment how poor of a choice that might be for them. And it might not be poor today, but it might be poor two or three years down yep. the road. I live in a small town. And so anytime somebody has worked at Stone Age and is applying someplace else, I almost yeah. always get a call. And I think employees leave like, you know, pissed off. Like, right. it's, like, it's, it's not the reference they were given, right? They were not given. The person didn't provide your name. They just called me. It up, totally. Right? They just called yeah. me and say, hey, what about this person? And so... Yeah, I think it's very short-sighted of people to, you know, go out, you know, guns a-blazing. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I will say that if your company has a track record of walking everyone to the door the day that they leave, yeah. then you should be fully ready for that. Totally. Do it. Again, we say to our employees, look, if we ever break the trust of this, it's safe to have this yeah. discussion. You could tell everyone, yep. you could go on Glassdoor and put it like it never happened. Just don't do that to people. But yeah, if your company walks people right to the door, then you don't want to do this and you probably want to get your new job and do everything and then offer them two-week notice and know you're leaving that. Yep. Like, because that's what they're going to yep, do. Yep, I totally agree. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that article. I read it years before I actually got to have the opportunity to meet you. Uh, so <laughs> I was really glad when your name came across uh, my email. I was like, oh, yes, I've been well, wanting I, to talk I, to I, him. I, I, that's one I really like to see people uh, freely copy. Like, I just think of more companies mm -hmm. did this if we had better yeah. leadership everywhere we have better experience well you are in my new book uh, my book is launching the ownership mindset it launches in october and i Love talk it. about this whole philosophy and that i took the idea from you so you are in here buddy <laughs> and by the way i'll give you a plug for that to what culture is 
There are a lot of people I know, they go to their company. I want you to have an ownership mindset, right? But they have a salary. They have no bonus. Yeah. Owner makes all the profits. Why should they have an ownership mindset? They're not interested in yeah. making the, like there's nothing compelling in that. Yep, I know. I gave a speech. So don't read that book if you're not interested in actually making people. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I give right. a speech pretty frequently based around a lot in my book called Turning Paycheck Players into High Performers. And it's a lot of this concept of how do you give autonomy and agency and treat people like adults and expect things from them and you get great results from it even though you're not an employee-owned company. And you see all kinds of eye-opening things that people are like, oh, well, you know, I can't be like that because I don't have this type of incentive. Or they don't even know how to use their incentives to create that ownership mindset. So I try to talk a lot about there's all kinds of things you can do as a leader to create this, even if you're not an employee-owned company, because you're not an employee-owned company, right? But you have it owning it as one of your values. And it's a really important aspect of how you expect people to show up. And so anyone can do it, but you have to want people to actually think and act like, oh, yeah, our people have equity, a lot of our yeah. people have equity, but to me, it has to be some part of yeah equation or some value in that, or just they can't see, or you're investing in them or what are they? they Profit they, sharing. Not, There's all kinds of things you can do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Those are all different versions of, yep. of the same. Absolutely. Thing. All right. So let's talk about your new book, Elevate. So this is, I think, your sixth book. Is that correct that you uh, have published? Uh, it is, yes. yes. Uh -huh, great. All right. So can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write it? Yeah. So I talk a little bit about this in the open, but I sort of had this epiphany where I had written this book, Elevate, after a couple of years and come up with this capacity building framework. And right at the same time, I was having some growth challenges in my business. And when I was kind of looking at those challenges, I realized, huh. Maybe this framework is sort of the same solution. And I think I talked about a bunch of different things over the years, but was able to really put that all together and think about how does this apply to you know, a lot with the capacity building on server? How do you build yourself as a leader or someone you're developing as a leader? How do you put these same qualities into your team or into the organization? And I wrote the book probably almost two years ago, by the time you go through the process, had it come out two years ago, I don't think anyone would have listened or paid attention. We were in the high growth, steroid era. And now I think it's a very different, interesting time. Growth is almost a bad word right now. Most people go to the team, like, we're going to grow 40% this year. They're like, oh. click, they're, they're tired. You know, we've come on all this kind of hyper growth, deflation, free money. And what they've seen is growth has been like this thing that where they're kind of drowning under the wave rather than riding on it. Look, we're going to get back to growth economy, things are going to improve. I think they're already going in that direction, but I think it's going to need to look different. I think growth's going to have to kind of bring the employees along with it. My analogy is if NASA said that they were putting an astronaut on Mars and the vehicle landed on Mars and all the astronauts were dead, I, I don't think everyone would clap and celebrate on the natives like they normally do, but that's sort of how companies have operated in this crazy growth. They're like, oh, we got to the goal but we killed all the people along the way. What's the point, right. right? Like that just seems like a hollow, a hollow. Yep, I totally agree. And do you think that business leaders are getting that? How do you think this shift is going to happen, especially with this short-term outlook that so many, especially yeah. publicly traded companies have? I think they're going to have to mm -hmm. do because I think if, look, if you watched any of these corporate malfeasance series over the years, 
I think if you had one of these people right now, like an Adam e. Mark, whatever, that went to their company, like, we're going to grow 100%. We're going to work 16 hours a day. We're going to beat everyone. Everyone would be like, I'm out. Yeah. Like, I don't just, care. Yes. <laughs> I, I just feel like yeah. after two years of COVID and supply shocks and demand shocks, yeah. people are just not interested in the super hustle grind. Yep. Right now. Yep. Agreed. I think they want, not that they want to work. Think they need stuff that's meaningful that they learn that they grow that just speed for speed's sake is not going to be as interesting to them and, and look here's the problem we have a decade of a lot of leaders who i think don't know how to grow a profitable sustainable business all they know how to do is grow top line that's what they've been trained on that's what they've been rewarded on i think people assume it's just a switch you can flip and they can suddenly do all the other stuff i'm not sure that's true yeah. Like those of us who have been building sustainable and profitable businesses for a long time feel like maybe our time has come. Yep. I am so with you. Stone Age is growing just this good, steady growth, and we are incredibly profitable. And I care way more about that. We have this whole idea of the 24-mile march, which is our 24% net income, right? We are going to make sure that we have that as our baseline minimum. And that we always are doing that. And it doesn't have to be a whole lot higher because we want to reinvest in the company. Obviously, we're employee owned. So we want to pay people well and we want to reinvest. But that is a discipline of making sure that we are growing profits at the same rate that we're growing our top line. And people are like, oh, well, you've only grown to a $100 million company instead of $500 million company. It's like, but why? For what? To ruin our culture? During the great resignation, we heard a bunch of stuff from our employees given the segment that we were in we're getting calls we have great people offered 20 or 30 percent more money and and promotions that sometimes they really didn't qualify for by a recruiter who was selling them something and obviously you know you start getting enough of these and you start kind of being like oh hey we need to pay people more we need 10 percent raises you know there are the things going around instagram if you're not getting a 10 percent raise you're you know you're losing money we're like look we are open book you know that one of the values of our business, we have these long-term contracts with our clients. The other long thing of a long-term contract, we can't just jack it up on them. So like, we don't, here are our margins. Like if we go raise everything 10% across the board, we'd go from a healthy, profitable mm-hmm. company to being like really at risk, you know, over, and we, we believe in having a reserve and cash flow. Ever. Fast forward a year later, everyone in our industry is doing huge layoffs, things that are surprise, all this stuff. We're like, look, this is. This is why we said this last year. This is why we played it conservatively and yep. paid people what we could afford to pay them. Again, open book. You can see the margins. You can see the numbers. And now we have some cash in the bank and we're a little safer than these other organizations. And by the way, a lot of those people who took those jobs, I would say more than half were, weren't at them in six to nine months later because the company didn't tell them they were two months from running out of money. Right. They didn't tell them, you know, Oh, you can work from home. Well, we're just saying that now because people and then we're going to tell you you can't work mm-hmm. from home. There were a lot of things in the sort of wooing process that were kind of overlooked. And so we always say, look, we're trying to hit doubles and triples. Sometimes if you swing for the home run, you can strike out. In 15 years, we never struck out. And so there's some there's some safety in that, but that there's some trade-offs. It means not doing something sometimes just because you can. And we saved up for a rainy day and there's been a lot of yep. rain. Yep. Yeah, I think it's so smart. So smart. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how these next couple of years go. I share your optimism with things, you know, continuing to get better, certainly across industries that we serve. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting times. It's interesting times. (laughs) It's 
it's not look no obviously like talk to everyone i wrote a thing that, that it sort of just feels sloggy because you're like how's it going and everyone's like well it's not horrible but it's not good yeah. right that's yeah. the sort of anyone in sort of marketing in our world or e-commerce yeah. or growth that's sort of the that's the general yep. consensus that i have heard yep yeah. definitely definitely all right well our time is up here uh, i do have one final question as my signature question the name of yeah. this podcast is Reflect Forward. So what does Reflect Forward mean to you? It's a great question. I was just, my daughter was, was dealing with something. And I sent her the quote this morning that if you're depressed, you're living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. And then if you're something, you're living in the present. At peace, I think, in the present, which was a multiple quote. So I think there's always points where it's helpful to like look back and reflect and sort of learn from it, but not get stuck or live there otherwise. It's like, enjoy where you are, look forward, take the lessons of the past, but understand that those zones provide, I think, different things to us at, at different times. And I, I think if you're, you can be way too stuck in the past and you can be way too much looking forward and miss the, the rock that's in front of you. I love that. Fantastic. That's a great quote. I'm going to go find that. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I think I butchered it. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's by some monk or priest or someone right. like that. It allows you or something like that. I'm going to find, find it. it. Go find it. I'm going to put it in the show notes. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I'll include all your information about your website and your book in the show notes. It has been such a pleasure to finally get to interview you on my podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Karen. All right. Hang tight, everybody. I'll be right back. All right, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode with Bob Glazer. So much fun. Please be sure to check out his book, Elevate. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes Noble, anywhere where you buy books. All right, with that, I will leave you to your day. I hope you have a fantastic one. And if you like this podcast, please share it with a friend, write a review, go rate it on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I really appreciate it. It helps with the algorithms and spreads the word. And don't forget to pre-order my book, The Ownership Mindset. You can go to my website for all the links, curiousigans.com, or you can go onto Amazon or Barnes & Noble and search The Ownership Mindset, Carrie Siggins, and you'll find it. I really, really appreciate the support. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic day. We'll see you next week.